<clears throat> hey, Reg, how you doing, my friend? All set to go. Hold on a second here. Get this microphone set up again. All right, are we all ready to go? I am. What do you say? Let's get right to it. Put it in the books. 387. 387. Star, smile, strong. Get ready with that trigger finger. <laughs> get ready with that trigger finger, my friend. That's almost as hard to say as Peter Piper picked a peck a peck a peck a Peter Piper picked a peck a peck a Peter Piper picked a peck a pick a peck of pickle pepper. Peter Piper picked a peck of pickle peppers. There we go. Thank you very much. Whatever. Are you set? Okay, here we go. Three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto, and this is Captain Podtastic. And welcome to another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We're right there, staring in the face, begging you, tantalizing you to click on and freak out. <laughs> Of course, listening is uh, a prerequisite, but uh, there's also some other side hustles that you can partake in, like getting out there and telling your friends that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs, too. Get out there. Spread the word. Make a sign. Go to the town square. Wear your Elton Jim, uh, Elton Jim freak, freak flag proudly. If you like what you hear, don't forget, you go to WGNRadio.com, you hit the podcast section, you hit the prompt for this podcast, and Wow. You just keep scrolling down and loading more, and it's podcast after podcast after podcast. Binge to your heart's content. It's always good to know where we were so you know where we're going. And right now, we're going episode number 387. So, <laughs> um, this past week or so, I've been batching it, if you will. I've been playing The Bachelor. Not the TV show. No, I don't watch that. I don't watch the regular Bachelor. I don't watch a Bachelor in Paradise. I don't watch a Golden Bachelor. No, I don't watch a Bachelor. I don't watch a Bachelorette. I don't know. I'm not involved, not interested in any of that. But I was batching it or being a Bachelor, I guess, this week. My wife was out of town for, for almost a week, pretty much six days. And... um for work she was in uh, beautiful las vegas on a work-related project and so it was just uh, me and grimsby the cat for about six days and 
You know, I am. I, I think I've talked about this in the past. I, uh, being an only child, I'm. Uh, I'm okay with uh, being alone. Some people, especially from bigger families, it depends. Though sometimes people that are from big families are introverts, or they 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 were so surrounded by so many people that they enjoy being alone. So I guess it could go both ways. I don't have that experience. All I can speak of is from my own. Uh, observations, but um, having been an only child, uh, I've talked about many times, and um, I, I have no regrets. I never begrudged my parents for not having a bigger family. I can't deny uh, that it, it it would be interesting. It it would have been interesting to to have a sibling uh, that is a completely different relationship. I only can tell and say that by observation. But I do know that I have most of my friends all have some siblings of some kind. Some have very close relationships. Some don't. There's no guarantees on that. You know, when parents decide to have a family and have one or two or three kids, I'm sure in their minds there is this idyllic picture of the brothers and sisters all getting along well and being besties and hanging out and and sharing everything and 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 many times that is the case but many times it is not and sometimes and even in a bigger family sometimes uh you know some siblings will wind up uh gravitating more toward one sibling over the other, and especially in a bigger family like five or six kids, you'll see little cliques of siblings, which is interesting, once again, to observe. I had, I ran the gamut when I was a little kid growing up um, in terms of the the, the, the sizes of the families that uh, of friends that I had. I had uh, a few only children, who were in the same kind of boat I was in. Um, I had some that just had one brother or one sister, uh, maybe two, three kids total. But then uh, I had some friends that came from very big families, six, seven, eight kids. And it was interesting to see that dynamic. And from my standpoint, I'm always an observer. I like to observe things. It's my nature. I'm inquisitive. And so I would, um, whenever I went to somebody's house, one of my friend's houses, uh, I would enjoy mixing with their siblings, even if they were younger than me or older than me. As usual, I always seem to have more in common with the older kids, the older siblings. And I've, and I've explained that in the past as well, that uh, I think I've always... Um, been a little more mature, and I always seem to be more comfortable around people not only my age, but more in more cases than not, I've always been more comfortable around people older than me by many years. I think just because of the fact that, as I said, um, being an only child, I certainly had friends of, of in my own age group, my own peer group, uh, but then, especially when you're growing up, uh, you know, once the streetlights come on, 
you're at home. And I'm not then surrounded by people of my own age group. I was surrounded by my parents. And my parents uh, were older. Uh, They had me when they were a little older. So they got married when they were older, and and they waited a a few years, and then they had me. So uh, they were a good deal older than I was, 30-some years older than I was, almost closer to 40 years on the other side of 35 so uh but i so that was my influence in many ways growing up and so i always felt more comfortable i would oftentimes you know if they couldn't get a babysitter for me or if they didn't want to get a babysitter i would oftentimes go with them when they went to visit friends and they would be off in the other room and i would be sitting in another room watching tv and uh you know bringing a game or something that i some of my my own things that I would entertain myself with. Um, And so once again, though, I was around adults a lot more than I was around kids. But I always enjoyed when I went to my friends' houses, especially that had some bigger families, I always enjoyed mixing it up with, uh, with my friends' brothers and sisters just because that was a dynamic that I never had. And I, it, and, and I can't, I can't, I can, I can imagine what it might be like, but for those of you who have a sibling, you know that that is a very unique relationship. It is not like a friendship. It is certainly not like a parent and a, and a child. And it's not like a best friend. You know, I don't, I don't know what that dynamic is. I have observed it. It looks interesting. Um, especially for those that do get along well. Some of my friends that have siblings that do get along well, it's a very interesting relationship because there is this, this, this bond that you have that is unique from every other relationship you have. And, uh, and I've had some very close friends uh, especially as a younger kid, that I would have felt as if they were almost like my brother, if you will. But ultimately, um, they weren't. And maybe I tried, because I was maybe looking for that kind of relationship, maybe I I was, was uh, you know, putting that that level on the friendship, um, but it was different for them. There was still a, a delineation. And believe me, I know there's some people that are really good friends that go, this guy is like a brother to me or this person's like a sister to me. And, and, and I, I wonder if that's, that's a real feeling, that, that, that the feeling that they have, if, especially since they have uh, another sibling, they know what that feeling is like. That, that they truly feel that kind of closeness and a bond with, with someone who is not related to them? Or it just it feels closer than just a friend, and so that's the easier relationship to compare it to. But whatever the case is, um, you know, I, I, I don't know what that is. If you do have a sibling, um, consider yourself, just I'm telling you from, from an only child standpoint, 
Uh, I have I have no regrets about growing up as an only child. Uh, I enjoyed my childhood very much. I never begrudged my parents. I never complained or said, "How come I don't have a brother or sister?" You know, that was just my reality, and I accepted it. And I and I and I went about my development in my life uh, without any major, uh, you know, complaints at all. I did have very close friends. I had some very close cousins as well. Um, but once again, there, there is, there's just a, uh, I, at least I observed a, a very unique bond between siblings. And uh, I don't know what that is like. So if you have a sibling, um, hopefully you do have a good relationship with your sibling or siblings. Um, but you really uh, shouldn't take it for granted. Speaking from someone who doesn't have it, um, you have been blessed with or given a, a unique situation and a unique opportunity to have somebody that is uh, related to you and you have a special bond with. So hopefully uh, you have a good relationship with your siblings. Because for someone who doesn't have one, I'd say you should cherish that relationship if you have it. Um. But to get back what I was talking about, so I have no problems being alone. As I said, I have some friends that that come from a bigger family that had very tight knit families, and uh, you know they they need to be around people. They enjoy the the noise, the interaction, the the busyness. Uh, you know, in my family, it was just me, my mom, and my dad. So things were relatively peaceful. You know, they were relatively stable. There wasn't a lot going on, you know? I mean, we were a unit of three, and that's much easier to control than a unit of eight or nine, right? <laughs> With all individual personalities. So I didn't have any problems um, as an only child. And, and as I said, uh, I found ways out of necessity to... Occupy my time, entertain myself, found interests, and that's why I think I do have a, a, a great interest in in uh, a lot of different uh, hobbies or or different uh, you know types of um, of of interests that uh, that I've pursued. You know, movies, television, those types of things, uh, music, uh, the arts, sports. Uh, reading, you know, things like that, um, cultural kind of things in general. Because those were the things I used to love doing puzzles when I was a little kid. You know, I loved to play board games and, and created my own games. I used to play radio. You know, I used to, people say, geez, why do you talk so much? I used to, I've, I've been talking to myself for years. Never been on the psychiatrist's couch. Some probably think I should be, but uh, no. But I mean, you know, I was I was kind of talking as a way to talk to somebody, right? <laughs> Which is one reason why I'm doing this right now. I'm alone doing this, talking to you, but in many ways, talking to myself. So this feels very natural to me. You know, the radio seemed to be a very natural place to go because it was a solitary uh, kind of um, experience, talking, speaking, 
not seeing who you're talking to in many ways. I'm certainly, I'm in the studio here. I've got Reggie, but uh, I don't know the majority, the great majority of people who listen to this podcast. I don't know you. I've met some of you, which is cool in person. It's and it's great. But I don't know all the people that listen by any means or have listened to me on the radio. I have no idea. And every so often when I do uh, meet someone or they have heard me on the radio or listen to the podcast, I, I'm always kind of you know, shocked. And, um, and certainly uh, it's a very enjoyable experience because you never know. So there is an, an anonymity of it to it. But it was also a a convenient kind of activity to do on my own to 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 have my own radio show i can remember being a little kid and the closest i came now um some people like dean richards on wgn radio and television he talks about actually being in the basement having pretending to do a radio having a radio station in his basement i didn't go to that extreme but i do remember as a as a young kid um, for instance, going in the bathroom because there was a good echo in there and because it gave me some privacy and I would read off, I would get the newspaper. Once again, a little kid, I was way into sports at the time. Um, I would read the sports scores and kind of do my own little sports report and mimic what I saw on television. And that was kind of the first experience of, of doing, of, 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 I guess, wanting to be on the radio or being a broadcaster of some sort. It was that interest of having watched sports on television, listening to the play-by-play and the color people, watching the the the, the sports uh, casts on the news, watching sporting events, uh, I began to mimic that, and I would read the sports and say, "Well, you know, today the Blackhawks beat the St. Louis Blues three to two, or the goal by uh, you know Stan Mikita, blah blah blah." And so that was kind of, I, I, and I remembered hearing my voice because there was an echo in the bathroom. And it and it made it sound a little more bigger and elevated, and so I would uh, I would do that. And um, here I am today. I don't know whether that was a good choice or not, but <laughs> but here we are. But um, so anyway, I am very comfortable in being alone. When my wife said, "You know, I'm going to be out of town for five or six days." Uh, on business, I was, you know, okay, just me and Grimsby the cat, and uh, I, I have, I have no problem. I must say that it, it, I, I certainly prefer being with someone. I enjoy being with in the company of other people, but I am not adverse to being alone. Now, this has only been, this is well, five or six days. At this point, I mean, I don't know if you said, you know, it's going to be a month. Uh, it might be a little difficult. I was, I was feeling toward the end of this, 
this six-day thing like, okay, this was interesting the first couple of days, but I was missing some human contact. And I did have human contact. I got together with a friend or two and, and saw other people. So it wasn't like I was just a hermit for six days and didn't leave the house. But um, but it was an interesting dynamic because my wife and I have been married for more than 30 years. So, uh, you know, even though I grew up in that kind of solitary situation, certainly the last half of my life here has been with someone on a daily basis between home and and work and activities and friendship. So um, it was certainly, like I said, uh, I was used to it. I could get along, but it was different. Um, one of the things that I decided, I had, you know, some activities and, and things to do, so I was I, I kept busy. Um, but one of the things, and now, now you tell me if you do this, if your spouse or your partner or anybody that you live with in that situation or that you're close with, if you don't, if they do go out of town, you don't see them for a couple of days or something for whatever reason, you know, uh, what do you do? In the food department. <laughs> that might be an odd thing to think about, but for me, it kind of, it kind of stuck out. As I, know, as, I, as I knew that the time when my wife was going to be out of town, I was starting to think about, well, what am I going to do for this, you know, these, this week or so? And the first thing that popped into my mind was food-related. Now, for the most part, you know, it's just my wife and I. We don't have any children. So our meals are not as formally structured. Never really have been. Um, we we sometimes will have some pre-prepared food. Sometimes we'll go out. Sometimes we'll just have something quick. The, the dinner table and the dinner experience really hasn't been a set routine that I would assume if you have kids and have a family, you know, you do try to have that. And I think in today's world, it's, it's a lot tougher. Uh, certainly, you know, 40, 50, 60 years ago, the, the, you know, everybody was expected to be at the dinner table at the very least. You, you came out from wherever you were doing and you came to the dinner table and whether you spoke together as a family, depending on your family dynamic was one thing, but at the very least, you were expected to be at that table. It was a ritual, and it was a an expectation. You weren't. You had. We had dinner at six, and everybody was there. As I said, when I went to friends' house, a lot of times I would eat over. I would stay over, or eat over at their houses. My mom wasn't a really great cook, and she would always say, "Look, you know, if you can, uh, you know, have dinner over there, you know, go ahead." <laughs> It's probably going to be better than what we're going to have here, right? <laughs> and maybe that's another reason too, as I said. Which is, which, you know, my and my mom and my dad, and 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 uh, and I, we would we would sit down and eat as a family. But once again, it was the three of us, and there would be a little talk about this and that. 
But as but but I would have to say that that dynamic in our family kind of changed when I was relatively young, and then and never went back because when I was in sixth grade, especially I think that's pretty much when it started. So when you're in sixth grade, you know what are you? Maybe eleven or twelve. Um, I started to play uh, basketball in grammar school. Now, I had played sports, you know, before that in Little League and things like that. Um, But with the basketball, our practices were usually after school. And at that time, you know, we would get done at 3, 3.15, and practice would probably start at 4. We'd be at the school, and it would barely be an hour and a half to two-hour practice. So we'd be done at 5.30 or 6 by the time you get home at 6.30. Well, my parents weren't going to wait to have dinner at 6.30 because we would always eat around you know 4.30, or, no, about 5, 5.30 or so. And I would sometimes get home at 6.30 or maybe even 7.00. So the that that family dynamic, even though it was just the three of us, kind of uh, changed by the time I was twelve, and never really reasserted itself on a regular daily basis for the rest of my life. Well, the less the less the rest of the time that I stayed at their, you know, I lived at their house until I got married, because I was always playing sports in high school. Many times, my freshman and sophomore year, I played three sports. So I was always coming home at seven o'clock, eight o'clock sometimes from school, at least, you know, six or seven. So, and that went on. And then in college, uh, you know, I had a very scattered schedule. Sometimes I had night classes and I was involved with the radio station in college. So sometimes I would be, I would be there all day and, and, and into the night um, having an, an uh, you know an, uh, an evening radio show and doing other activities with school and things like that. So really, the family dynamic in my house in terms of that that daily family meal wasn't wasn't really around all that much. By the time I was eleven or twelve, uh, it was gone, you know. And uh, as I said, then when my when my wife and I got married, and and she was grew up as an only child too, even though she had a, a couple of stepbrothers, but you know, she never saw them, uh, or half brothers, I should say. Um, you know, that family dinner dynamic wasn't as uh, ingrained because you have a smaller group, so. We 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 will sit at the dinner table and eat together, but sometimes we don't. Sometimes we'll we'll eat in the living room while we're watching television or something. It's very casual because we don't have that. We don't have the kids there to to you know sort of ground that dinner experience where people sit down and what did you do today and do that. I mean we we're together, right? It's just another person. Um, so as I said, uh, you know, and we, you know, at this point, you know, and always, we've always tried to, you know, to eat uh, healthy and things like that. But let's be honest. You know, we all have our indulgent food that we like. And sometimes our indulgent food 
isn't the same as our indulgent food of our partner. You know, sometimes, you know, you really like a certain kind of food or a certain dish and, and they're okay with it. They're, yeah, you know, it's all right, but you really like it. And sometimes we'll certainly go to a restaurant that has that, get some takeout. Um, but, you know, a lot of times you don't because the other person isn't all that crazy about it. So you find something that you both like. But there's, I don't know about you, but there are some certain things that I really like. And that I sometimes often don't eat, A, because a lot of times, you know, they're not really good for you. <laughs> those, those seem to be the best foods, aren't they? <laughs> Why is that? Why, why is that? Why are all the good foods not the ones that are good for you? Why are the ones that taste so good always the ones that are the ones that you're not supposed to eat or at least? And I understand everything in moderation. But what happens, at least in our, in my stand, in my situation, is that, you know, so everything in moderation or you don't want to overdo it, you know, because, oh, you know, like say with a pizza. I mean, I know some people that have pizza three nights a week. And I would have to say that we don't have pizza. We have pizza maybe once a month, once every six weeks, uh, and, and and stuff and, and other things like that. We don't really indulge in a lot of that stuff. As I said, we we have we we a lot of times we'll have pre prepared meals, so because it's easier for us, and so. We have a variety of food, but they're not those those quickie kind of really good foods. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, I, I like the food I eat, but you know, the indulgent ones, the decadent ones. Oh. And so with when my wife was gone, with, with my wife being gone, you know, living the bachelor life for five or six days, my assumption was well what what can make this week away alone a little more interesting if you will and the idea of having some foods that i haven't had in a long time struck me as well that would be fun you know i could there's a lot of foods that that i like a lot more than my wife does and so uh, a lot of times, you know, I, we don't go to those kind of restaurants, so we don't get that. And I don't feel deprived. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, oh, this is terrible. But there's no question that on the back of my mind, there's always that, ooh, I wouldn't mind having that. You know, it's been a while since I've had one of those. I'm not obsessed with food. But, you know, you know, uh, good food is good food. <laughs> So I so as my as the time was getting closer to my wife's uh departing on this business trip I I actually sat down <laughs> and wrote out so I wouldn't forget like what are some of the foods what are some of my favorite foods some of my favorite indulgent foods not so much my favorite foods but what were some of my favorite indulgent foods that I haven't had in a long time that are decadent that aren't really good for you but oh are they good for you <laughs> 
And I wrote down the list. And so I said, I'm going to, I'm going to, as I keep thinking of them, I, I had this little pad and paper with me. And as I kept thinking about this throughout my day, oh, oh, that would be, oh, I haven't gone there in a while. I haven't had that in a long time. I start to jot these things down to the point where, let me see what I had. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I had almost 10 different things that, uh, that I had listed. Now, don't forget, I only had like six days, and I already had 10 things. And I wasn't going to go two in a day. I mean, because these, you know, some of these things, you, you, you couldn't, if you had two of these a day, you'd be, you know, you'd put on 30 pounds in a week. Yeah, like I said, these were, these were decadent foods. These were foods that uh, are really good, but maybe not really good for you. But some that I have not had either ever or in months or even years, I would say, even years. It's been that long. But certainly uh, months, without a doubt, several months, six to eight, almost a year. So I started to jot some of these things down. And I thought it would I would share them with you, and I was wondering if you have any like secret guilty pleasure foods that you really like, that you don't really have all the time, but that you really like, uh, you know, I mean, sometimes when you're driving alone, for instance, you know, do you stop at a at one of your favorite fast food places because, oh, my God, I love the fries there or I love the the whatever there, you know what I mean? Do you Do you sometimes do that or if you do find yourself alone do you sometimes go and get that or or maybe you have as part of your regular routine as i said hey you know some people eat pizza once a week or two or three times a week or sometimes they go to a, a to a, a restaurant slash fast food place two or three times a week especially if you do have kids um but i was just wondering I, these were kind of the things that uh, of, of foods that that I really like. That if I had my druthers, I would have them a lot more than I do. And uh, so I thought I would share these with you, and maybe you have your own. And if you ever wanted, to, if you wanted to share those in, on my Facebook page, let me know, and maybe we bond on the same thing. Because these, this list here is certainly not my only favorite foods. But it's like it's like the the you know I like a certain food from a certain place, but I could also have that food other places too. But uh, so I started to jot some of these down. So I thought I would uh, share them with you. And as I just look at them at this list now, my mouth is watering. <laughs> So I really like Chinese food. Now, I know that the Chinese food that we have here in the United States, I understand, is not always, and for the most part, not traditional Chinese food. I understand that. For instance, chop suey. Now, in today's, you know, that was kind of a... An American creation by Asians 
who owned restaurants by basically throwing together scraps and cooking it in an Asian style. And most, and most of the time it was put together by, you know, as I said, people that had restaurants that were probably feeding, you know, workers, you know, you know, there was a time in this, in this country where, uh, most people were blue collar workers. There were, you know, and, and, industrial workers and uh, manufacturing plants. A lot of times the, the, the foods that we love the most here in the United States were developed by restaurants that were serving a, a, very, you know, a workforce that was very physical and, you know, quote, unquote, blue collar, you know, long hours, physical labor. That's where a lot of these foods uh, that we have come to be many ways American and and staples, but they were they were created or they got popularized because they were hearty, heavy foods for people, mainly men, who were working while women were at home. That was the way of society, folks. That's not the way it is today, but once again. That's the way things were. I'm not trying to say anything, you know, politically incorrect here. That was the reality of the world. And so some things like chop suey or or pizza and things, those were, were, were quick and they were hearty and filling for people that were working eight, nine, ten, twelve hour shifts, either for a lunch or for a dinner. Mainly for a lunch, if you got off, uh, you know, were able to go to a place to eat because it would tide you over from breakfast. You know, the Great American Breakfast. I mean, think about the Great American Breakfast. You know, that was that was formed once again. It's it's a hearty meal. I mean, today, if if I have one of the, if I have a a an American breakfast, right, with eggs and toast and bacon or sausage. Or pancakes. I mean, you know those the staples, waffles. I mean, my gosh, I can't. I if I have that in the morning, if we go out to eat or you know do it at home or something. If I have that in the morning, I I don't eat again until later in the day, and and then it's probably a light dinner because that breakfast is still sitting on me. That was meant to be a hearty heavy breakfast not only to start your day but to 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 keep you energized and full because of the work day ahead of you whether you were going out in the fields as a farmer or you were getting up at six in the morning to go to the factory and your lunch period wasn't going to be until six or seven or eight hours so you know the idea was to have this big hearty breakfast to tide you over same thing with these these heavy kind of comfort now we call them comfort foods but these big heavy lunches once again tailored to the physical labor of the time to tide you over if it, if you had your lunch break at noon and you didn't get home until 6 or 7 um and you were working all day and you only had 5 minute break or something 
you couldn't have a meal. Uh, the idea was, a, was to have a hearty lunch, a stew, a chop suey, which is basically an Asian stew, right? But, you know, a cheeseburger, you know, a bun and meat and fries, right? I mean, that's, you know, that's where that's where the great American, these dishes were born out of. It was born out of the work routines and the work schedules of the majority of people. And obviously restaurants fulfill that that need. And so that's why so many of our staples, especially in the United States, are heavy meals because they were kind of built around the workforce and tiding people over who were working 8, 9, 10, 12-hour jobs that were physical. Not sitting at a computer hitting buttons, but they were burning those calories off. They were taking in a lot of calories, but then they were physically working, so they were burning those calories off. Those were big, heavy breakfasts with you know biscuits and gravy and potatoes and all that. You say, "Wow, you're going to eat that at eight in the morning?" Yeah, well. If you're out in the field and you're and you're physically working, you're going to burn those six six hundred calories off pretty quick, and then your body needs to be replenished. So, heavy breakfast, heavy lunch, cheeseburger, big sandwich. Where do you think the club sandwich comes from? Think about the club sandwich, like two three layers. <laughs> These staples of American f- of food that we think of were based on a very physical workforce. Today, uh, we're very sedentary. So you can't really have those big breakfasts and big lunches anymore because you're just sitting down, hitting keys. You're not out there climbing or running or, or, or lifting or throwing things or whatever like our ancestors were 100 years ago but anyway i really like chinese food and i can honestly say that for whatever reason my wife isn't crazy about it she likes it in you know small doses and every once in a while I really like it. And I like a lot of different things too. Now, what's great about in today's world where we're we're so focused on diversity, you can get now many more traditional foods of different groups and countries. Before, many of the foods that we would consider uh, you know, from different countries were Americanized. Like I said, chop suey doesn't really exist, I don't believe, in China. It's an, it's an Asian-like dish, but it was basically created to serve factory workers with odds and ends from the foods that they were preparing. You know, so it was a lot of vegetables and and, and leftover meats and put it all together and throw a little soy sauce and put it in the wok, and hey, it's a Chinese stew. 
and it was hearty. It was good. So from the customer standpoint, hey, this is great. From the restaurant standpoint, hey, this is great. I'm using up all of my odds and ends. The biggest thing in a restaurant is waste. You want to find ways to use all the food that you are buying to make get the most out of it in terms of your investment when you bought them. You don't want to throw th- odds and ends out. So if you can find a way to make those odds and ends into a a good meal that people like, hey, you're ahead of the game. So a lot of these meals that were developed for Americans or in America that have become our staples benefited both. There was some ingenuity on behalf of the of the the cooks and the restaurants as a way to make more margins and profits less waste and it was a way for the customer to say wow this is something new and different that i maybe even can't make at home because i don't really have a lot of these these foods that a restaurant has as its daily staples so i can get something here that i can't make at home so it's win-win And my palate has certainly changed over the years. As I said, my mom wasn't a great cook. So we used to, uh, we used to, my dad was was actually a better cook than my mom. And my dad many times would cook dinner, you know, go shopping and get the groceries and cook. But if not, we would order out. Um, And at the time, when I was younger, you know, when... Uh, getting Chinese takeout wasn't as, uh, you know, diverse uh, as it is now, where you can, as I said, get now many restaurants are serving more authentic Asian, Chinese, Japanese, uh, you know, Thai foods. We're seeing more authentic dishes as they are prepared in foreign lands in foreign cultures, as opposed to many times the foreign foods we may have been eating were Americanized versions of authentic Mexican food. But they weren't really the Mexican food or the Indian food or the Chinese food or the Asian food, you know. Or the even the Italian food, but now we're getting much more uh, accepting of different flavors, different tastes, and different dishes that the indigenous people of those countries eat, as opposed to Americanized versions. But still, both the more authentic versions and those Americanized versions still aren't bad. (laughs) Uh, You know, I don't know if they have sweet and sour chicken or sweet and sour pork in China, but I know it's pretty good. I don't know if they have chicken chow mein in China, but I I like a good chicken chow mein takeout, that's for sure. (laughs) so for whatever reason like i said my wife isn't crazy about it i love chinese food i love a good egg roll 
there's this one Chinese restaurant not far from us. I remember going there as a kid. It's still around. They would have this popo platter, they called it. And a lot of Chinese restaurants have it now where they have this. It's, a, it's like their appetizer. But, oh, you know, they have the the crab rangoo, like, you know, some crab filling in a in a wonton, in a fried wonton. Of course, I love egg rolls, uh, shrimp toast. You know the barbecue ribs, the way they make it with the, with the with that spe- that very interesting kind of sauce. Pot stickers, I mean, many of these might be Americanized things. I don't know. All I know is they taste good, and I like a good beef fried rice. <laughs> but I will also I like a good egg foo young. And I like, you know, the pressed duck and all these other kind of things, too. But those, I still, a lot of times, will come back to those staples that have been around for a long time. Maybe they're Americanized, maybe they're not. Um, admittedly, I am not uh, overly uh, schooled in, in Asian cuisine just because I, I think I could be and would be, and I would be more adventurous. But since my wife doesn't really like it, we don't really go to those uh, kind of restaurants. I'm not really big on sushi, but I, I think I could be. But once again, I you know, my wife isn't that adventurous uh, eating wise. So uh, you know, the whole idea of, of raw. I mean, I, I love tempura. I guess we could, you know, she could get a tempura dish. Uh, if we went to some place that had like a more of a sushi thing, and I think she likes like the you know the, the rolls with the rice and stuff like that. Um, so first on my list, when the cat's away, the mouse will play. <laughs> first on my list of what I w- of that what I was thinking of getting or going to eat while my wife was out of town was some Chinese food. I was like, I could go for a nice egg roll at the very least. I could go for an egg roll. <laughs> so Chinese food was first on the list. Second on the list, something I have not had, I would say, for at least three or four years. And I love it. It is so good. But I just, I, I don't go to to fast food restaurants like that as much, and I don't indulge in that as much just for the health reasons. But my gosh, do I love a Greek gyro. Oh, with that tzatziki sauce, that cucumber sauce. It's so simple. It's, it's, it's peasant food extraordinaire. You know, it's that lamb... Meat that's kind of pressed. I don't know what else is in there. I don't care because it just tastes good. I know it's lamb-based, but I don't know what else is going on in there. But I don't care. When they shave that gyro meat off that that uh, that vertical spit and you put it on the, the warm pita, the soft pita, 
with tomatoes and onions and the tzatziki sauce. Oh, my gosh. And you can't go wrong starting off that meal with some saganaki, the flaming cheese with the lemon on it. Oppa! Oh. So there's a favorite place that I grew up in in my old neighborhood in the Belmont and Central area called Central Yiddos, which is still there. I mean, it's been there for, a, for I would say, at least 40 years. And it's still there. And that's why I don't go there often because it's not, it's not that far from where I live now. But it's not real convenient. And I've had Yiddos at other places. And while they're good, you know, the one at Central Yiddos and the Belmont and Central area in Chicago, that was the first one I had, and so I still, that's that's the best one in my mind. And so I have to make a special trip there, and I don't always get there because it's not always the most convenient. And so it's been certainly several years since I've had a gyro of any kind, and certainly I've had a Central gyro. So second on my list was a gyro. Oh, just love them. Third on my list is another Chicago original, Superdog. I was born on the, nor- on the northwest side of Chicago. So a lot of these foods that I'm talking about, I will have I've had because I, when I was a younger kid and a teenager in my 20s, you know, that's where you would go. Superdog. I know there's one in the suburbs now, but there's a Superdog on the northwest side of Chicago near Devon and milwaukee uh you know that was featured in 16 candles with the big you know with the two big hot dogs on the roof and uh they still do the drive-in thing but i haven't been the super dog i would say in at least five or six years it's been that if not longer i can't remember the last time i've been there but i really love their fries and i really love their whoopski dog I like a good Polish sausage. And this is like their version of a Polish sausage with onions on a roll with some kind of a sauce on it. Oh, a whoopski dog with fries from Superdog. That was third on my list. (laughs) I... Love cheese. I love hamburgers. My, I, I, I was like when I was a little kid. My dad called me Wimpy, who was a character on Popeye, and he just ate hamburgers. Wimpy ate hamburgers. In fact, there was a place called Wimpy's. There was a hamburger place when the fast food thing started in the seventies after McDonald's took off. There was a place called Wimpy's with the character of Wimpy eating a hamburger. His phrase was, I will gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. (laughs) I loved Wimpy, and I loved hamburgers. My mom would, now that was one thing my mom made pretty good hamburgers for me, like when I was a a little kid, still at home every day. I would, would, if it was up to me, I, I could have a hamburger every day when I was a little kid. Actually, to a point where she was like, my gosh, you know, you're eating hamburgers so much that just to make it different, she would start making them in different shapes. 
just to, to break the monotony. She's like, okay, I'm going to make you a triangular hamburger today. Just so it's something different because you're always eating the same round hamburger. So sometimes she would make a triangular hamburger or a square hamburger. <laughs> but, um, and I, and I eat burgers out now today. We have so many, you know, gourmet burgers, but I have to tell you one hamburger that I really like from a fast food kind of restaurant is Culver's butter burger. And I love cheese curds. I'm a big, I, I've, I, first time I had cheese curds was maybe 40 years ago. And uh, I never heard of them, but I went to Michigan and they were on the menu there. Now, uh, you know, they're pretty common. But back then, you didn't even know what cheese curds were really unless you were in Wisconsin or somewhere in the upper Midwest. Now, it's fairly common. You could buy cheese curds anywhere. But fried cheese curds, oh, my gosh. And I love those at Culver's. And apparently, they have a burger. It's kind of, it was kind of an April Fool's joke from what I understand. But then they said, well, why not? One of these hack things, you know, people where they, they, they order certain, they order different things on a fast food menu and, and combine them together and make a whole new sandwich out of them. That's called a hack. Well, what was born out of a, a 4th of July, April, or I mean, a, a April Fool's joke has become something now that Culver's offers for a limited time. And it's called a curd burger. And they actually make a patty, a round patty, of cheese curds, a fried cheese curd, but it's a patty that is placed on top of the regular burger. So it's it's kind of like a cheeseburger, but it's a it's cheese curds, and you do get that crunch of the fried batter around the cheese. So it's not really a cheeseburger because you know cheeseburger is just regular cheese. This has that little crunch of the the fried cheese curd. I've never had one of these. I've never had a curd burger. It sounds so decadent to me and so wrong, but so good. So I said to myself, you know what? When my wife is not around, I'm going to get me a curd burger from Culver's. It sounds too good and too decadent not to get. And I probably won't get one with her so I can go on my own when I'm bacheloring it. I can go and get me a curd burger from Culver's. So some Chinese food, a gyro, a whoopski dog from Superdog, a curd burger from Culver's. I love a great beef sandwich. I love a great Italian beef sandwich with sweet peppers. I'm not big on the jardinier, but I love the sweet peppers. I really like the combo because I love a good Italian sausage. Um, I think Portillo's makes a great beef sandwich and a great combo. Although I do like Johnny's. Everybody talks about Johnny's on North Avenue. Once again, Northwest Side here in Elmwood Park. So I can go for both. I haven't had, I haven't been to Portillo's or I haven't had a combo, I would say, in many months. So I was like, you know what? I got to get me a combo. 
from either Portillo's or Johnny's. That's got to be on the list. I haven't had a good sub, a submarine sandwich. I love a great Italian sub, or I love any kind of subs. I love the the bread. You have to have good bread. On a hamburger, that's why I like Culver's so much because they have those butter. They have those really good buns at uh, at Culver's. That's why I love the fillet of fish at McDonald's because of that delicious round brioche bun. I mean, I like the sesame seed bun, and I like a Big Mac and all those things. But the special bun that they use for the filet fish makes that sandwich. It's pretty scary how I'm talking about food like this, isn't it? Um, but I haven't had a good submarine sandwich in a real long time. I, I, I love, I love, chi- I love chicken salad. I like a, I love a chicken salad sub. But I do miss a good Italian sub with, you know, salami and mortadella and provolone. And the the olive oil, uh, and the ham, capacol, or capagoo, if you will, <laughs> and onions and tomatoes. And there's uh, a small place not far from where I live that makes really good homemade subs. And I don't really go for the the uh, the franchise sub places. I like to go to a a little privately owned shop where they make their own bread. Because I think the bread is key. The bread is key to any sandwich. But definitely to a hamburger and definitely to a sub. So I was like, you know, I, I, it's been a while since I've had a really good Italian sub. So Italian sub was on there. Now, I've told you a couple of weeks ago, I love pumpkin spice. I never had one of these. But it sounds good. It's indulgent. I wouldn't go there regular basis. But... While I'm bacheloring it for a week, why not? I, uh, so on my list, Dairy Queen has their blizzard, you know, their their ice cream based blizzard, which they throw Snickers or different things in there, and they it's kind of like a it's not a shake because it's thicker, and it's got all these different kind of fillings in there. Like I said, either you know Reese's peanut butter cups or or uh, or Snickers bars. Well, around this time right now. DQ has a pumpkin pie blizzard with the crust. Oh, I have never had one, but it's sound. They had with last year. I didn't get one. And I said to myself, I'm going to get the DQ pumpkin pie blizzard. I got to get one. I I don't live close to a DQ, but I'm going to find one and I'm going to get this blizzard. It sounds too good. I've deprived myself of this for too long. I love me some pumpkin spice, and I want a pumpkin pie blizzard. So that's on my list. Now, I said we have pizza. Everybody has pizza. But there's been a certain pizza place that I've never gone to that has a Detroit-style pizza. And I only had it one time in Detroit. A friend of mine lived there, and we said, he said, we got to go to this place. This is Detroit-style pizza. There's New York style, there's Chicago style, and there's Detroit style. It's a little thicker, and it's got corners on it. And so I don't know if my wife is that big on that one. So I said, I'm going to get me a pizza from, I think it's called Jets. And I think there's one not far from me. So I was, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try the Jets Detroit, the Detroit style pizza. 
So I put that on the list. And the last thing I had on my list, uh, everybody loves chicken tenders, right? I love them. I really like Raisin Cane's. I've never been to Raisin Cane's. Really good chicken tenders there. They've got a great special sauce, and they give you this piece of thick bread, Texas toast. Really good with their meal. And there's more of these Raisin Cane's popping around. So I haven't had that in a long time. So that was my list. Some Chinese food, a curd burger from Culver's, a gyro, a whoopski dog from Superdog, a nice good Italian sub, a really nice good Italian combo, sausage, roast beef, and green peppers, a DQ blizzard, pumpkin pie blizzard, some raisin canes, chicken tenders, and a Jets Detroit-style pizza. So that, I had my list, and I, I put it away and even tell my wife about it. <laughs> this was going to be completely indulgent and a big secret. So then I wouldn't have to complain like, oh, why can't we have Chinese food? Because secretly I already would have some. <laughs> so I had this little secret list of my decadent foods that I'm like, you know, I'm not even, you know, and because they're kind of heavy and they're not good for you, I'm like, I'm I'm just going to eat this once a day. Maybe I'll go, uh, you know, I'll just, I'll just, I won't even have anything else. Just have this because, you know, these are high, you know, high calorie kind of foods here. So I'm not going to go nuts, but I have such a taste for these and I, and I haven't had so many of those, of many of these in months, if not in years, in several years. And so I thought, well, this might be a good time to do that when I'm on my own, when I'm playing The Bachelor for five or six days. Well, let me tell you the reality of the situation. As much as I was pining for even one of these on the list, regardless of the whole list, When the time came, when she took off and was gone, and I was by myself, reality kind of set in. And I was like, you know, you know, this curd burger, for instance, it really sounds really good, but it's got to be six, seven, eight hundred calories. Do I really need a curd burger? It sounds so good, but. Or even the gyro. You know, I mean, with the pita and the tzatziki sauce and the meat, it's got to be pretty high in calories and not really good for you, right? And that's the whole idea of decadent food. It's not good for you. But I'm looking at the realities of my health and my eating habits. And so while I had this, I made up over at least two weeks, I was compiling my decadent food list that I was going to, and you know I love to make lists. And I couldn't wait to just not only eat these foods, but then put a check mark next to, ah, had my Chinese food, had my submarine sandwich, had my Detroit-style pizza, 
Had my Whipsky dog. Oh, there's nothing better than not only making the list, but crossing the list, the, the each item off the list when you do it. But the reality is, <laughs> the six days went by, and I didn't go to any of them. I ate the regular food that I ate every day. I stayed in my routine. You know, I work out and stuff, and I just felt like, do I really want to do this? You know, break my eating habits like this, be so decadent, even if it's once. And so as much as I had this fantasy list as much as my mouth was watering as I was driving my wife to the airport, thinking about as soon as her plane took off, I would be taking off to get a curd burger or getting a sub or getting a beef or getting some Chinese food or getting a curd burger. And yet, I didn't do it. However, I'm going to keep my list. And maybe I won't do 6 days of this, but now I've got a I've got a list here of of my favorite decadent food. So I don't need to do one a day for 6 days, which was kind of my my dream. Every day I'm going to indulge in one of these foods I haven't had in so long because I'm on my own. At the end of the day, I stayed within my routine. I didn't get any of them on my list, but now at least I have my list and I'm going to keep it with me in my wallet and I am going to try to tick off each one, but maybe not within a five-day period. But let's be honest everything in moderation right it can't be that bad to have a euro one time it can't be that bad to have a whoopski dog one time it can't be that bad to have a dq pumpkin pie blizzard one time it can't be bad to to have a a combo with green peppers and roast beef and sausage it can't be bad to have an egg roll and some French shrimp fried toast and some crab ragoon and some beef fried rice or some chicken chow mein. Can it? My goal for this podcast was to make you hungry. I hope I succeeded. And so ends another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast, we are there. And don't forget to tell your friends, tell your family, tell anybody who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs too. Your loyalty and devotion are much appreciated. Hope you enjoyed episode number 388. I'm Jim Toronto. I ain't here on business. I'm only here for fun. You've been listening to Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. From the end of the web to your screen. A Euro. 
Oh.